Rambam with Mazel and Bracha, we begin a new section. Hilchais, the laws of Shechenim. Neighbors, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What does it mean to be a neighbor? You know, neighbors are neighbors. There, are, there is a lot of interaction between neighbors. Inyan Elo, not always good, not always pleasant. Inyan Elo, Halacha is the idea of these laws, Leda is to know. Din One form of a neighbor is a partner. How you can divide land that two partners own. How do you split a partnership? How do you unwind a partnership? They tell a beautiful story. There was a, two partners who were very close friends. And one of them, an older gentleman, is in the hospital and he's dying. And in his last breathing moments, he says to his partner, I just want to die with a clean conscience. I want you to know, you remember many years ago when somebody broke into the safe and emptied it out? We had no idea who did it. I'm the one who did it. I just want you to know many years ago somebody sold our secret ingredient of our product to the competition and we had no idea who did it. I did it. I just want you to know that I've been embezzling for years. I want to die with a clean conscience. He says, don't worry about it because I'm the guy that gave you the poison. That's how you unwind the partnership. Inyan, that was on the lighter side, by the way. The Rambam has nothing to do with that. I just wanted to wake up everybody. Inyan, Elo Aloha, is the idea of these laws. Lay nice to know, deem the laws of Kilokakakakois, how you divide land, between partners. In general, how do we remove dangerous factors which will cause damage from one to his neighbor? You know, people are neighbors. They have boundaries they share. What are their best rules to follow that we not get into trouble? You know, they say, good fences make good neighbors. And the laws concerning people who share property lines or business partnership lines. The explanation of all of this stuff. These are very critical laws. Everyday stuff. Says the Rambam in his general introduction, Let us say, Mr. A purchases from Mr. B half his field. So now what does he own? Half the field. Who owns the other half? The guy he bought it from. Ah, Mazel Tov, their partners. Or their neighbors. Or two partners went in unison and purchased the field from one person. So you now have a partnership. Or two brothers inherit it. Two people inherit it. So they're now partners. Or two people received the gift. So they're partners in the gift. Or it was property that was hefter, was owned by no one, and they went and acquired it at the same moment together. So they're partners. As we learned at great lengths earlier, somebody converted, had no relatives, and died. So anyone who gets there first acquires it. Two guys got there together. They're now partners. Any two people who have a partnership in real estate. And then one of the partners say, you know what? Enough is enough. Let's separate. Let's just unwind. I want to take my portion and separate from you. I can't handle this heartache anymore. Now the question is, is this property large enough or appropriate for division? Yes, basically, that property has the laws pertaining to it. Where it can be divided, and we'll learn detail soon. Not every property can be divided. Then you force the other partners and they divide, which means if there is enough room to divide and there is one partner or seven partners or 20 partners, a person should be allowed to abandon the partnership. What if there can't be division, as we will learn? Let's say it's too small. Or other situations, if it's not suitable for division, then you can't coerce a division. This is the general law. You can push for division if it's appropriate. If it doesn't work, you cannot push for division. The same law applies to the if they own not real estate but a movable object, whatever it is, then if it's suitable for division, division should be made. If one person demands it, if it's not suitable for division, that's another story. When does this apply? If one of them does not recognize his domain in the partnership, if there isn't clarity of division to begin with, for example, sometimes one guy has the east side and the other guy has the west side of Chicago. No, I'm just kidding about the Chicago. Everybody has an equal hand. The halacha says that partners, everyone owns half of every inch. Don't divide. But if one of them knew his part, it's not big enough. But I know what's mine, for example, in an inheritance, perhaps. The father left the east side to one son and the west side to another son. Being that there is definition, then division can be coerced by one upon the other. One of the partners said to his fellow partners, in a situation where it's not suitable for division, or something that is impossible to divide, for example, a maidservant. How do you divide a maidservant? Horizontally or vertically? You can't. A clee or utensil. How do you divide a grand piano? Horizontally or vertically? You take the high notes, I'll take the low notes. It's not so simple. So what if one partner says to the other, listen, my friend, my partner, sell me your portion, I'll give you $10,000. The guy says, $10,000, are you crazy? It's worth 20. He says, that's fine. Then buy it from me for the same price. You could 
buy or sell. And that's an important condition, because they can't be one buy price and one sell price, as much as we would like it to be that. And this is a common teaching in halacha. It's called good or good. Buy or sell. Sell or buy. Then the law is with him. And we can actually force the person who, to whom that's being said to sell or to buy. Why? Because it's fair. I am ready to buy. You don't want to buy, sell. You don't want to, I am ready to buy. You don't want to sell, you buy. What if the fellow who is starting this conversation, he doesn't want to buy? He can't buy. He doesn't have the money. He wants division, but he can't buy. He can't coerce the guy to buy from him. I feel a bishar hazel. He can entice him, but he can't coerce him. Even if he offers a cheap price. He says, listen, you know and I know this is worth $10,000. Give me $2,000 and I'm out of here. Well, that's a good deal, but you can't make it happen if the guy doesn't want to. Because the other guy can tell him, I'm not interested in buying. Leave me alone. I want to sell. So as long as you don't say, I'm ready to buy or sell. Here's the money. That's something else. But if the guy doesn't say, I'm ready to buy, you can't force the other guy to buy. Even for a very affordable bargain price. The people, therefore, two brothers who inherited property or who inherited a possession. One happens to be poor. One happens to be wealthy. Their father left them let's say a bathhouse, a private bathhouse. A base abad or an olive press, a family bathhouse, a family olive press. What do they do? They're not partners. If the father would rent it out, he would rent out the bathhouse, he would lease it out, or he would lease out the olive press. This is good. Sorry, if the lease brought in 10,000 a year, each one gets 5,000, not a problem. Because man should use a lot of bishop as long as they want to maintain the partnership. If the father made it for his own private use, he would take a bath occasionally. He would press olives occasionally, and now two brothers own it. And one brother cannot force the other to rent it, to use it as rental property. Because the other brother says, no, I want to use it like daddy used it. Occasionally. The brother has a right to say, I want to maintain the same usage as our father. And the rich man has a right to say to the poor man, listen, you want to make use of this olive press? Get olives. The guy can't put two dimes together to buy an olive, but who cares? You go impress them. What are you going to do in a private bathhouse? Buy a lot of servants. Tell the servants you're going to give them private bathing hours in your personal bathhouse. Wow. The guy said, I should buy servants. I'm having a problem buying bread. The bottom line is the poor man cannot force the rich man to purchase his portion. Unless, as we learned earlier, purchase from me or sell to me. That is something that one can force. I'm prepared to borrow. I'll go to a bank and borrow. I'll go to my friends and borrow. And purchase. Or he sells to others. Let them buy. Then he can push. The law is with him. If each one of them said, I'm not buying. I'm selling my portion. Well, that's a good solution. They can both get together and sell to a third party. And split the money. Each one said, I'm not selling. Each one wants to buy the portion of the other. Or neither of them wants to buy or sell. They want it. They should remain partners in the body of the object. What should they do? If it's rental property, they rent it out and they split the rent. If it's not rental, what do you do? How do you split the courtyard? This is what they call today a timeshare. You ever hear the expression of timeshare? Then they live in it every other year. You get the odd years, I'll get the even years. She after she used to they can't live in it together because it's not big enough. If they hezekriya, there'll be no privacy. There is a whole concept in the laws of real estate discussed extensively in Baba Basra called hezekriya, the damage of the eye. You're looking into my private domain. Get out of my get out of my world of privacy. Because it's not big enough to divide. You can't force someone to move every 30 days. We're not talking about a vacation house in Colorado. We're talking about a primary residence. You can't force someone to move every 30 days. It makes sense to do it annually. They can use it at any time. Because why shouldn't two people use a bathhouse? Any other object suitable for regular use. It's not rental property. It's like a bathhouse. A matzah. Or a mattress, a safe preparer, or a Torah. One cannot tell the other. You one day, me another day. Because the guy says, I want to use it every day. In that case, they have to learn to get along, and they'll use it together. Somebody rents from another. A portion of a courtyard, a portion of a field, which is not big enough to be divided. <coughs> Two people rented a place <coughs> as partners. <coughs> Each one can coerce the other one and say to him, Listen, this is not working out. Either rent my place, my portion, or let me rent your portion. This is, it's too crowded. 
Yeshbodin Chaluk, if it's big enough and the laws of division apply, Chilkin, you separate. Now, definition. What is this law of division? What do we mean large enough to divide? How do you define that? Anything that if it was divided by the two partners or by the partners, then the smallest portion of that partnership, the, small, the smallest volume partner would receive a portion, which is still considered a part of an entire entity. But it's not something that the name of that place would be suitable. It has no possibility for division. Take that for example. You're talking about a courtyard, for example. If a courtyard does not have four cubits by four cubits, a cubit is about to put in a half. If a courtyard doesn't have six feet by six feet, it's not a courtyard. So if a courtyard doesn't have this minimum, then it's not considered a courtyard. And the commentary is saying, that's where I was looking, plus loading and unloading space. It has to be usable. The chalsod, any field, which can't grow, nine kabin, and a kriyasod, that's not very much, is not considered a field. 37 and 50 square cubits. The chalkino, any garden, that you can't plant a half of a kav, 208 square cubits. And a kriyagina, it's not called a garden. The chalpardis, any orchard, where you can't grow, three kabin, 1250 square cubits. Ain't a kori pardis is not considered a orchard. People, therefore, in chelkin the bottom line is we don't divide the courtyard until each of the partners will end up with four cubits by four cubits, plus loading and unloading space. Until each partner has the measure mentioned above. not the When does this apply to If this courtyard, field, garden, orchard is in Israel, Israel is such a desirable place that a small piece of real estate is meaningful. But in Babylon, where there was plenty of land, we don't begin to divide the field. Until there be at least a day's plowing for this one, and a day's plowing for this one. Who are you going to hire? No one's going to want to come plow for an hour. At least 36 trees for each. You pick up a guy in Home Depot, and you have him work for one day. Or a field which is irrigated by a tensile. You have to give a guy a day's work. For each part of the partnership. Hey, the closing paragraph of this chapter. We learned about all of these entities much earlier in the laws of sales, chapter 21. In we don't divide a traklin. A traklin is divided, it is defined as a hole, a small hole. We learned earlier 10 cubits by 10 cubits. That's a traklin. Not a large building. Not a dovecote. Not an olive press. Not a court. A bathhouse. Not a palace or a garment. Until each portion has. Each one has to have what can be called a bathhouse. You can't have somebody come and this one gets the shower. And this one gets the bath. And this one gets the towels. It doesn't work. It's ridiculous. Each one has to have a complete bathhouse. That's how you can divide. There has to be an upper dose for each one. You have to be able to divide the garment into two. At least they should have two smaller garments. Or be showered one everything else. As I explained earlier, you can't have a half of a grand piano. Not going to play very good music. Trust me. Even if you're not a musician, trust me. Like dividing a guitar in half. You give somebody a half of iPhone. You get the eye, I get the phone. If there isn't enough for each, then you translate it to money. You say, now we're dealing with value. It's $1,000. Buy or sell. Either sell it to me or buy it from me. And one of them said, the division is not. The guy says, listen, I just want to get away from you. You're killing me, Larry. I'll take the smaller part. You say there's not enough. I don't need four cubits by four cubits. I'll take three and three quarters cubits. Just I want to get away from you. So you take the one that has four cubits by four. Not big enough. If it's not big enough, you can't just say, I don't care. It has to be big enough or you can't make a division. He tells me, I don't need your gifts. I never like you very much anyway. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love you. Being that there is no law applicable to division because it's simply not dividable. That's not a word. Divisible. We have to translate it into money and there has to be a money division. End of chapter one. Rambam, Mishnah Torah, is the laws of Shechenim, neighbors. How to be a good neighbor. Perek Sheni, chapter two. Chatzres Hakvorim. The courtyards of villages. The commentaries explain that when it comes to the courtyards of cities, cities have been there forever, and there's clear understanding of where my boundary begins and your boundary ends. But when it comes to villages, villages usually develop from ownerless property. So this one takes a house, it takes a piece of property and builds it, and this one does, and all of a sudden they're sharing a courtyard. So we need to know the laws of sharing courtyards. 
Each person builds a house in this shared courtyard. So the courtyard, the yard area, the shared area between the two houses, Mishutepes is owned in partnership to all of the inhabitants of the houses. So if you have ten houses in a courtyard, you have ten partners in the courtyard. So first of all, there's something that we call a loading and unloading zone. Every doorway within a house has arba amas, four cubits. A cubit is about a foot and a half. Lefana before it, to the width of the entire door. So that if the doorway is six cubits, six by four is the area of loading and unloading where the donkey could park there and they could unload the donkey and bring the stuff into the house and not encroach in anybody's property. So that's like, I would say today, like a driveway. It's the area where you can use next to your house for loading and unloading. <coughs> If you have that loading and unloading four cubits, if there is enough room in the courtyard to give every partner four cubits by four cubits, meaning if there are two partners, you would need an area of four cubits by eight cubits, so you divide it. Why? Because the minimum yard is four cubits by four cubits. Less than that, so you don't divide because it's not divisible. It's too small. Any courtyard that does not have four amas, is by four amas, is not considered a courtyard. It's considered a nothing, a hole in the wall. A courtyard has to have a minimum in our language, six feet by six feet, 36 square feet. Four cubits by four cubits. Kamesha Biano, as we explained, Tetzad, for example, Hayushnei Shutfin, if there were two partners, and here we have an interesting example. One partner had two houses. Uh-huh. The other partner had only one house. The guy who has two houses. Presumably every house has a door. You measure from this shared courtyard. Four cubits. The Chalbayas of Bayas by every house. I'll call Recha Bapesach to the width of the doorway. Even if it was ten amas. We learned earlier that the maximum width of a doorway is ten amas. It's a 15 foot width doorway. It's pretty wide. So then the guy who has two houses gets two loading areas. The one who has one house, we give him four amas at the width of his door, before his door. So already the division is uneven. Why? Again, because every house deserves a loading and unloading area. A four amas by the width of the door. There's a debate as to whether the doorway was only two amas, whether he gets four by two, or he still gets four by four. That which is left, the remaining of the courtyard, if it has eight amas by four, that this one should have four amas by four amas. And the other should have four amas by four amas. Not counting the doorways. Yes, but then the courtyard is divisible, and one partner can demand division. And they divide. Less than that. There is no law of division. Now, that is under normal circumstances, where the house has one doorway. But you know, some houses have a lot of doorways. Bias, some, some houses have so many doorways, you need to take a second mortgage to buy mezuzahs. Bias, she actually saw him rob him a house that has many doors. from all directions, there's an eastern door and a western door, and northern and southern. So, do you get loading and unloading to every doorway? That can consume quite a bit of the courtyard. Yes, yes, it has four amas by the width of the doorway in any direction. However, if he designated one doorway and it says, use this door only, go to other door, then he made it clear that he's not using those doors. Then he only has four amas against his main door, and the other doors don't count because he blocked them off, so I guess he needs a wall space. Like you have certain stores in the old world that uh, they have several doors, uh, one door is blocked, and they have shelves in front of it, and so you use other door, which means he made it very clear that you're not using this door. Gimel, we learn this repeatedly in various laws about the Greek porch. Aksadra, Greek porch, if the porch could be used as a loading and unloading area, you could drive the donkey cart in there, and then you don't need four Cubits of loading and unloading outside the porch. And if not, yes, it does need because people will need to load and unload in front of the porch. Why did we say that every doorway deserves four cubits? It's very practical so that the person can unload his burden there. Otherwise, he's going to be tying up traffic. Everybody needs an area where they can park their donkey cart and unload at leisure. So, if it's an axadra where you can load into the axadra, you don't need an extra unloading area. What about a guard's room? You have like a hut where a guard hangs out. A near peses or a porch. Yes, they also get four amos. In his commentary to the Mishnah, the Rambam defines a porch as an elevated place within the courtyard where there are steps leading to the second-story lofts. <coughs> so these places need loading and unloading. What if there were five houses open to a porch? 
the porch is open to the courtyard. So do you need to have five access loading areas or one? It's like you go to a motel, for example. And in a motel, you'll find that there's a general covered area porch, which leads to various rooms. How do you get to that walkway covered area? You go from the parking lot. But everybody uses the same access to the covered area to go to this room and that room and the other room. So how many unloading areas do you need? Only one. You only need the four amas for loading and unloading because they all use the same area. Hey, Lul, shall turn on a chicken coop. Doesn't have that much delivery. There are no four amas because it's only a chicken coop. Buy us a house. Half of the house is covered with a roof. The other half is uncovered and open. Then whether the covering is towards the inside of the house, or the covering is towards the exterior of the house. You don't have four amas because you could use the uncovered area for unloading. Buy us a house that is closed off. Somebody nailed the house shut. Yes, it has four amas. Why? Because just as he nailed it shut, he can unnail it open. He still needs his loading area. Porat's espetsimov. However, if he destroyed the doorway completely, then he has no four armas because there's not a hope of him reopening it. Yeah, I guess if he reopens it, we'll go up there. What if it's a tiny house? There are no four armas by four armas. There are no four cubits by four cubits in the house itself, which we learned earlier is not really considered a minimum size of a house. Imagine there's a house that's less than six feet by six feet, even in the era of small houses. He doesn't have four cubits in the courtyard. If the house doesn't have four cubits, let alone the courtyard. If there is in the courtyard, four amas for each of them up to the doorway of the house, how can they divide because that house does not get that loading area? Now he addresses another area, manure. Manure is precious. It's expensive. What about the manure of the courtyard? Who gets it? It depends how many doors you have. So each house gets to divide the manure and sell it, I guess, or use it. But when it comes to taxes, levies for the king, here we don't count houses or doors, here we count people. Because usually the king levied per head, head tax. partners, they wanted to divide something. That's not divisible. There are partners who became partners in an object that can be divided. If you divide it, you'll kill it. Even though when they divide it, it'll, it'll lose its title. It's not going to be called what it was anymore. If they both agree to divide it, knock yourself out. Okay, what if we're talking about holy scrolls, holy books. Even though they wanted to, for example, in many cases they used to write the whole Tanakh in one scroll. What if they want to divide the scroll because they inherited that from their father? Better not to divide it. If it's one, but if it was written into two scrolls, it's already divided. You can divide it, but there are laws as to at what point in time and how much space you have to leave and so on. We actually touched upon these laws in the laws of Torah and books. What if there is a place that's not large enough to mandate division? But the partners decided to divide it anyway. Even though they made a Kenyan, a symbolic act of acquisition, to do something which is not mandatory by law, each one could re- renege on it. Why? We learned this earlier. She said Kenyan's variable because the acquisition, the act of a Kenyan, was made merely on words. It's like somebody says, I want you to come to San Diego with me. The guy says, sure. He says, okay, make a Kenyan. Lift this up, it means you accept it upon yourself. What is the deal? The deal is nothing. That's not the stuff you make a Kenyan on. So here also, if they agree to divide something that's not divisible, you know, so what? It's, it's, even if you made a Kenyan, so I changed my mind. But if the Kenyan was made, this one shows the northern side. This one shows, for example, the southern side. And that has, that's matters of substance. Here you can't retract. One of them went and actually did an act of possession in his part. As we learned earlier, what it means to do act of possession in real estate, and the other did an act of actually did it in his part. Without a Kenyan, the act of possession alone is sufficient. One cannot renege and retract to the other. Once the one of them got his lottery, they all acquire. And the question is asked, if only one of them had, how does it affect all of them? They've got to keep going with more lotteries. Assuming there was a system where if the oldest gets this number, everybody follows. If, if that one lottery would mandate a division for all. The pleasure, the satisfaction that they got, that they all heard that the issue was resolved, they all completed this act, and conveyed the portion to the other fellow. Now comes an interesting law. Generally speaking, right of way is important in a sale. For example, if there's a big piece of property, let's say this piece of property is right here, there's a back lot and a front lot. What if we sell the back lot? We need to sell access as well. You can't sell somebody a lot and expect them to come in with a helicopter. So the previous owner conveys his right of way, his access. That's why these lots, as we've talked many times that we're sitting on, are called flag lots. Because it's like a flag with a thin strip, which is like the pole. That's the access. Now, technically, here's an interesting situation. When brothers divided, what does it mean when two brothers own 100% of a property, which they inherited? And then they divide, it means they sold the property to each other. I sold you my half, you sold me your half. 
So in that case, there is a rule that says that a seller conveys everything he has. They also convey the right of way. So we have a situation where the inside partner has no access because that was conveyed. If they got into a second floor with a ladder, there's no access anymore. Windows. One partner cannot build a wall in front of the other guy's window. You can say, you're blocking my window. You can say, wow, building a wall in my territory. Or an irrigation ditch. Here's the technical issue. They divided, they sold, so no one is left with any right in the portion of the other. So therefore, they have to buy it separately, those right of ways. We can say to the brothers, when the field belonged to all, to one, when it belonged to one person, the irrigation ditch had access. That this became my portion. He actually lost an Amas they all like, I don't want your irrigation ditch in my land. He can cover up the window with his building something on his domain. He can build by a ladder. Even though, how do I get to the second floor? Well, that's your problem. The same law applies when two people buy a field from one of them. That no one has any right of way. And unless there is a separate right of way purchase done, which is what we do, the guy could have the ownership of the property, but it can't be usable. So this is an interesting technicality. And in general, in the world, when there are sales done that require right of ways, they're usually stipulated in the contract. But if two people bought a field from two people or two brothers, one of them has no right to cut off the irrigation ditch, and not to change any of the privileges that one of the sellers has established, because the seller conveys all of his rights to the buyer. So the buyer gets all the rights of the seller. Which is divisible. It's not large enough. Now the question is, good fences make good neighbors. Each one can coerce the other. To build a wall in the middle. Otherwise, there's no separation. There's no, as they say in uh, Australia, privacy. There's no privacy. In America, it's called privacy. In order that his fellow, his neighbor, should not see him while he's using his own partition. People have a right to privacy in their own home. There's a word for this. It's called hezek ria. It's called visual damage. Get out of my house. I'm not in your house. No, but your eyes are. That's also why we have shades today. And drapes. The law is shehezek ria, visual damage. Hezek is considered damage. It's a very important principle in halacha. Therefore, one partner can mandate that a wall be built, and can coerce the other partner to share the expenses. Neither partner can say, "Listen, for the last hundred years we've been here without a wall. I don't want a wall." Though for many years they were without wall, one partner can now coerce the other to build a wall anytime he wants to. Okay, so now there's a lot of questions. Where is the wall built? On whose property? You want to build the wall? You build it on your property. Uh-huh. So the width of the space of the wall, he shall shame has to belong to both of them. Each one gives half. How wide should the wall be? For example, you take a look at our property here, you have a cinder block wall, which the city mandated that we build. Cinder blocks are pretty wide. How, I believe in our case, because we were zoned for a synagogue, we had to build it all in our property. But uh, this law is about two equal partners. It depends on the custom of the local community. Even if the local community suffices making a partition with reeds and palm leaves, that's good too. As long as there's no space which is visually available from one to the other, that's a problem, the damage of vision. We learned earlier when it comes to business and the same goes to real estate, the local custom is very important. For example, here, the local custom will dictate that you can't build a wall very high in front of your property. What do you mean? It's my property. I, I can't build a wall? No. Not so simple. You need special zoning permission, special privileges, and so on. So local custom is very important. So how high can the wall be? And this is the big question in walls. How high is a wall? Can I build a 30-foot wall? A 10-inch wall? What are we talking about? He says, minimum of four cubits, which is about six feet. And that's a normal wall which cannot be seen through a six feet. The same beginning, the same applies to a garden. I don't want you seeing my tomatoes. Kaifin, Kaifeo, he coerces his neighbor, Lahabdu, to separate the garden. He gets from the other fellow's garden. Mechitza, with a separation. But when it comes to gardens, all we need is ten hand breaths. Which is what, like 30, 40 inches. If you want to give me that comish on the second shelf there to the right, second shelf. The second is after the first. Down, down, down. That's the second shelf. Second book right there. Yeah, yeah. The one you just touched. Thank you. This has the various measurements in the Kohat 
So I'm talking about a tefach, 3.15 inches, 10 tefachim is 31 and a half inches. That's enough for a garden. Abel, the bika, but a field. There's no need to separate fields. Unless the local custom is to separate fields. What if he wanted to separate his field? And the word bika, actually, sometimes translated as a valley. It's a, it's a large area of fields. He wants to separate his field from the other. Nobody can stop him from building a wall in his property. Now, in 30 years from now, or 300 years from now, how is anyone going to know that I built a wall in my property? We actually had a situation here where we had some hostility from neighbors when we were building. What else is no? And uh, we had a, the wall next to Havenhurst, the, the fence separating between us and the neighbor, and the neighbor started screaming, so we hired a surveyor, and it turned out that the, the wall was built on our property, so from his screaming, we gained property, because we had to do a survey. So you never know, if there's a wall, you assume it's in the right place. Uh-uh, don't assume anything. So what do you do? How do you make a sign that will always be visible, that everybody will know? He says, you make something visible, a sign, like you take some one cubit by one cubit of line, and you put it on one side, that means my wall. Wall is built on my turf. That's a sign that's my, we learned that this is one of the acceptable signs earlier. Because therefore, many years later, if the wall falls, the space where the wall used to stand, and the bricks or the stones or whatever, shall belong to the guy that had the sign. Otherwise, the neighbor's going to say it's mine. You know, stones could be very expensive, especially if you use expensive stones. But if they both agree to make it and they want to know what the divide is, so they build it down the middle. In that case, how do we know it was built down the middle? We make a sign on each side. That means it's shared. The people, therefore, not if the wall fell, the space, and the stones, shall are split. See, today we have surveyors and books and all of that, but they didn't always have that back then. If somebody sells just a garden to someone else, and it was just one of many gardens, and the buyer wants to buy, build a wall, well, the buyer has to build a wall. Even in a place where they have a custom not to separate. Actually, the neighbors compel him to do so. If he just told a field, we're not obligating him to create a separation, unless it is customary. And here the Rambam concludes, in this concluding halacha 18, Sizes, acceptable sizes for materials. It's in a place where it's customary to use stones that are not cut stones, not hewn, to build walls that divide courtyards and gardens. Each of the partner should give three handbreadths. So three handbreadths is like nine and a half inches. So it's an 18-inch wall. Because it's, if it's cut stone, so this one gives two and a half handbreadths, less. Because the cut stone consumes less. If they use broken bricks, all of these measures include the thickness of the wall and the mortar. Unless there is a local custom. Being the space is given by both. Even if the wall fell into one person's domain. Well, it fell into my side. It must be mine. My courtyard can acquire from me. One of them took and emptied out all of the stones in his territory. And he argues that his friend sold him his portion. And the son of gave it to him. And he's not believed. Until proof is brought, a wall that fell, which is established as being down the middle, belongs down the middle to each of them. End of chapter 2. Rambam, Mishneh Torah, he'll face the laws of Shane and neighbors. Chapter 3. When a wall is there in a courtyard, they shoot him or shoot up him, dividing between two partners. Which fell. There is a courtyard, there is a wall, and it fell. Each of the two can lock or coerce Achavei to the other to rebuild this wall. Up to a height of four cubits, about six feet. Why? This goes back to Hezek Ria. Vision damage. Vision damage is called damage. You're looking into my backyard. I'm counting my money and you're watching me count my money. In order that they not see one another. It's interesting. In the Chumash, in the portion of Bullock, when Bilam is forced to give blessings to the Jewish people, instead of curses, one of the greatest blessings he says is Matovu of Alecha Yaakov. How goodly are your tents, O Jacob, your dwelling places, Yisrael, Israel, says Rashi from the oral law. What is Bilam praising their tents? He liked the construction. What did he like? He liked the rental companies. What did he like? Shalehoya Pischehem. Their entryways were not lined up opposite the other. They were staggered to give modesty and privacy. That's what Bilam was praising. That the Jewish people are modest people. They're not immodest. 
So this requires walls and privacy and shades and all of that stuff. But more than four cubits in the Chaibanese, we do not obligate. What if one of the two wanted the Biyah Kesel and lifted his wall up? Yesterday, more than four cubits, more than six feet, which again, I'm not sure is legal in our world. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's not legal. Unless you have permission, and even then, sometimes it's a problem. If the other came and built a wall, opposite the other wall, they do coerce the other guy to give his part. For example, what if one built a wall between them and made it ten cubits high? The scenario he's drawing here is if one of the neighbors built a large, tall wall of ten cubits high, that's 15 feet, and the other neighbor said, goody, I'm going to use this 15-foot wall as a wall for my house. So he builds a, a wall going the other way, creating an L. And then he builds another wall, and he builds a house using that big wall. But he says, I didn't ask you to build that wall. But his actions show that he's adjoined it. See, for example, in today's world, it could be a little problematic because they require at least five feet or more in between properties. But back then, there was no such rule. Lassus Lebayas, he's building himself a house using that wall that he refused to pay for. And he lifted his wall, six cubits. Then we make him pay for the two extra cubits from four to six because we see he likes it. Because his deeds prove he rates he wants it. And if the guy built a wall, and the neighbor then cuts out an indentation, where he can put his beams, and he's going to build himself a structure, and he's going to use that wall as a support. They should all pay together, put a big beam, and all the other beams can use as a support. In that case, he's using the 10-foot wall for support. We make him pay for the extra, not 10-foot, 10-cubit wall. We make him pay for the extra six cubits. Because he showed that he likes it. He's using it. Even though he didn't build a whole wall, because by utilizing it, he shows that he wants it. You want it, you pay for it. One of the partners built a wall that separates between him and his fellow up to four cubits. The Tobani demanded of Khaveri of his fellow, leaping to give Chelke his portion by the expense. He now says to his neighbor, Okay, we spent $1,000 to put up this wall. I'll take $500. The Yomar and the neighbor says, I paid you. Nosati Chelke, I paid. And the question is, did he pay or did he not pay? Only his hairdresser knows for sure. We assume that he paid. Because it's normal, he has to pay. So if he has to pay, we assume he paid. However, there's a rabbinic oath called the Shuas that he takes and he swears and he says, I paid, and he goes home. Until the one who's demanding the money proves that he didn't pay. Now change the scenario. One of the neighbors built a wall much higher than four cubits, something the other fellow does not have to pay for, but then he showed that he enjoys it because he is leaning his beam on it. They connect their opposite it. So, aha, you like it. Hey, the Amanasati says, okay, I paid. And Yonema here is not believed because the norm does not say he has to pay. He, the guy had to see and prove that he's enjoying it. So we go back to what is the normal status quo in life? So the one who's trying to collect swears, is holding a holy object like a Torah film, that he did not give, and he takes from him. Like the law of all those who swear and take, until the other one can prove that he did give. So it really depends on where the status quo falls. Now he says an interesting situation. If somebody owned a rune, a rune is an old, unused house, a haunted house. Ben Chorvis amongst a bunch of runes, and he owns one of them, and his friend owns others. Along went his friend, his fellow, his neighbor. The God and put a wall around the first side, the first direction, Ushniya, the second, Ushlishis, and the third. So his friend closed up his rune with three walls, because he was building walls for himself. Now his rune is encased three, with three sides. Now, what good does it do when your rune, when your old house, is encased by three in three directions? The answer is nothing. Because it's wide open to a fourth direction, and all the kids can come in and, and climb and play and make trouble and get into trouble. It's wide open. Yeah, but I encased it for you in three directions, but you didn't accomplish anything. We don't obligate him to pay anything, not money. Because it didn't help him. His room is wide open to the public domain, just as it was, and all kinds of trouble can take place there. Therefore, it stands to reason that in if his neighbor, because of his own needs, built a fourth wall, uh-huh. now his room is all enclosed. This is a different story. A whole new we now go back to all three and the fourth, all four, and we send him a big bill. We charge his credit card. 
and he pays half the expenses of his neighbor who put up four walls because he benefits from these four walls. As long as the place upon which the wall is built is shared, but if the wall belonged to the one who built, and he built in his own portion, this is an expression that the Rambam uses when he gives his own opinion, not from the Talmud or from the Poskim, from his sources, but his own. It appears to me that they only make him pay a little bit, a symbolic amount, as the judges will determine. But the guy can't use the walls because they're not in his territory, they're not in his land. So also if it's the guy himself who was now surrounded by three walls, he built the fourth wall. He says, hey, for free. For free, for free, for free. I have three walls. That's why I said it three times. For free, for free, for free. And I might as well build a fourth wall. So I have to pay a little bit. By constructing that fourth wall, he reveals his mindset. Aha, uh-huh, he wants it. He gets half the expense of three walls. Provided that it belonged to both of them and so on and so forth. Anything similar. Okay, now we have a scenario which has a diagram. Two houses, one Opposite the other, the name of the diagram is the construction of guardrails. I need a, is there any producer here that knows what he's doing? Gary, I need you. All right, I'll pay you. Sheesh, you know, I'm just kidding. So the construction of guardrails on roofs which face each other. Now you're testing this out. Two houses facing one another. I'm going to need you to zoom in. And they were the type of roof, a flat roof, where people would hang out. They would get some pens, and at night they would cool off. On the East Coast, people used the roofs of apartment houses. It was a big time before air conditioning. Even if the two houses were across the street from each other and there's a small public street between them, but still, people want privacy on their roof. You don't want people from the other roof looking into your roof. So, one creates a parapet, a fence, a gate for half the roof, by the one he lives in. The other one does for the other half. So, they, one does on the east side, the other does on the west side. There's no reason each one needs to do a hole in the wall because as long as they overlap a little bit, no one can see. Now, I'm going to ask our producer here to zoom in on this diagram. More, 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 more. Okay. So here we have the diagram. And just to read the notes on the diagram, A is one home, house one. B, second home. C in the middle is the public domain. D is the guardrail extending more than half the length of one roof. E is the guardrail extending more than half on the length of the other roof. So that's the deal. Even though the guy who's being forced to build a half a guardrail is saying, Master of the universe, you're concerned about me. The people in the street can see your roof. Anybody who's there can see your roof. The other guy can say, no. The people down on the ground can only see me during the day when there's clear vision, when I'm standing up. The operator told me, you could see me all the time. It's a whole different world. It's like the fellow who went to this hotel and spent a lot of money to get a room, ocean view. He comes into the room, there's no ocean view. So he calls the manager, the manager comes up to his room. He says, look, you have to stand up on the bed, climb up on the dresser, stand like that. Look, there's the ocean. There's your ocean view. A roof, which is close to a courtyard of another. And here there's a diagram. A house built on a slope whose roof is on the same level as an adjoining courtyard. You're going to have the roof of one house that's on the courtyard, the same level as the courtyard of another house. And here we have A is the house, B is the partition, C is the courtyard. Okay, Mr. Producer. So here we see, go, go, go as much as you can into that. Here you see the house built on an incline where the roof of the house is on the same level as the courtyard of the other fellow. It happens here, we live in a very hilly community, south of the boulevard. Anybody live south of the boulevard here? Okay. So, we have a roof. Bordering on someone's courtyard, you need the parapet, the fence, the gate, going four cubits, because the guy's courtyard can see right onto my roof. But between roofs, one roof and the other, you don't need four cubits, you don't need six feet. People live on the roof. Therefore, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. Yeah, I said that right. Generally speaking, there is not vision, visual damage on roofs, but there has to be some level of separation. There has to be a separation between the two roofs. Ten handbreadths high, 31 and a half inches. In order that one neighbor will find the other neighbor on his side of the roof, they'll call 911 because the guy's a thief. So there has to be a, marked, a marker for division, but not so much for vision damage. 
Two courtyards, one higher than the other. Let the higher one not say, I'll only build opposite me and go up, and I don't have to participate in anything below me. They both have to participate from the ground up. Then the higher one has to add that which he needs. If his courtyard was higher than the roof of his fellow, then the higher one doesn't need the lower one at all. What if somebody's wall was close to somebody's garden, and it fell? We make him clean up the stones. The guy whose wall it is has to clean up. Imagine you wake up one morning in your garden where you're growing your strawberries and your tomatoes. All of a sudden there's a lot of cinder blocks. You say, hey, get your cinder blocks out of my garden. Omarloi, what if the fellow who owned the cinder blocks said to him, you keep the wall. Go ahead, you clean it up and you keep it. I'm giving that to you. You clean and you keep. We can't force the guy to clean and keep. Get your cinder blocks out of my garden. But the owner of the garden said, goody, I always wanted bricks. Wow, the Jerusalem stone, amazing. He says, yes, sir. By collecting them and cleaning it up, that's an act that acquired it for him. And now he owns these valuable stones. And the original owner can't say, you know what, I thought about it, I changed my mind. No. I feel Omar, even if he said, hey, look, I thought about it. Here's your expenses. You had a couple of guys that you picked up at, at uh, Home Depot. Here, I'll pay you whatever it costs. I want my stone. I, I re- As my mama, blessed memory, used to say, honey, you realized? I didn't realize that they were so expensive. As Ricky used to say, very, very expensive. So here's the money. I'll take my stones. And we tell him, too late. Far That's only if he cleaned it up. But if he didn't, like Connor doesn't acquire it. Because maybe the guy didn't mean it when he said, you clean it, you keep it. Maybe he was just buying time. So the owner of the is only pushing him off. And the question, of course, is asked, if it's in the guy's backyard, why doesn't his backyard acquire for him? The answer is, your backyard only acquires for you something that doesn't belong to anyone. This belongs to somebody. Here comes a very practical problem. There's five gardens, which receive water from one water source, one spring. And the spring breaks. The spring isn't working. So the question is, who fixes the spring? The spring is here, and it goes to garden one, garden two, garden three, garden four, garden five. Why should garden five fix the spring when it's so far away? Everybody has to share in the repairs. You can't just blame it on the guy next to the spring. So that even the lowest one, the farthest one, has to repair alongside all of them. But then, what if there's a problem between area four and area five? Only he has to pay that, because that's only benefiting him. So he has to pay everybody's bill plus his, and nobody has to share with him. That's so unfair, but that's why he's in therapy. The first guy, the garden closest to the spring, he doesn't have to pay for the connection to the second guy. The second guy doesn't have to pay for the third, fourth, and fifth. Because they have to share the connection from their garden to the spring, but not from their garden to lower and further gardens. The chain is also along the same lines. Chalmesh chatzay is five courtyards. Sheshet chenayim libivecha, that drain off to one drain. Okay, you know, we, we all know the, the issues with drains. We call Roder-Ruder. They said you have a big bill. Then it's kalkal habiv, and then the drain goes haywire, gets stopped. Kulam nisak nesim atachtayina. Everybody has to fix the drain. You can't just say, let the lowest guy fix it, because my water goes into his property. Uh-uh. This is a shared drain. The top one has to share the expenses of fixing the drain with all of them. one has to fix his own. But the bottom one, the doesn't have to worry about the guy higher than him. Because that piping has to do with them. So this is the same principle. Ten, the closing paragraph of chapter three. Irrigation. B'nai Hanor, people with properties adjacent to a river who irrigate their fields. Now the question is, if I'm closest to the river, you better be very nice to me. Because the water may never get to you. And that's a big problem that you have with countries today. You have a situation today with Israel where the country is north of it. I don't want to mention any names. It's a bit, but it's not Canada, are, are creating big problems taking the water that Israel lives over. B'nai Hanar, people of the river, residents around the river, Mashkinah say that they take their irrigation in order. If one of them wants to dam up the river, that's the way they do it. They dam it up, making it all go into their field. And all the water should come to him. So he gets first dibs. He has a right to get first, because he's closest to the river. And then he takes it away from his field and opens it and lets it go downstream. And then the other one, what if the second guy says, I want first, my field is dried up, I'm tired of taking what you leave over. So he has an interesting halacha here, which is based upon the famous teaching known as kol de'alim gvar. Whoever is stronger, let them work it out. This has many meanings. One is whoever has a stronger argument in court, let them litigate it. And the other interpretation says, you know, may the best man win. 
which is a whole interesting law. Rachel Ashkes Tchila. I'm sorry, Obeir HaKorev Lama. What if there's a situation where there's a water cistern? Again, we're very spoiled today because we have running water. You want to have water, you open up your tap and then you don't drink it because you want bottled water. But hey, you know, it's America. But once upon a time, the river filled up your cistern, your pit, and that was your water supply. Obeir HaKorev Lama, so the cistern, the cistern, the pit, is close to the canal. The cistern can get filled first. Then, once the cistern is filled, the irrigation flow continues to the next field. Why is that? Because it's best to keep peace. And why should you go and fight with the guy? Don't fill your cistern. Send it to Mike. You know, you got to get along. And this is a very complex law. We're just dealing with the surface law, as are the words in the Rambam. There's a lot more to be said here. End of chapter 3.